1 Corinthians chapter 10 as we continue going through the New Testament, currently in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 15 this morning. And this morning's text is an exhortation or exhortations about conduct, about how we behave in certain situations. And in verse 11 last week, Paul said, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us. And the things that Paul's talking about are the things that the Israelites went through as they were journeying uh, through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. And they experienced uh, all kinds of things. And those things led them to behave in, in, in certain ways. And most of the time it wasn't, wasn't godly ways. But they're recorded here to warn us. We're to learn a lesson from these things. And it's a lesson uh, to learn from all of these things in verses 1 through 10, which we looked at last week. We do have a freedom in Christ. As a Christian, we have liberty. But our desires, the things that we want to do, the things that we desire to are according to and in agreement with that is in line with the will of God. That's so important for us to know and to understand. I think we know it, but understanding it is another thing. You know, the things that we want, the things that we desire, must be in line with the will of God. In other words, our heart has to be the same as God's heart. And again, knowing and understanding this is so important. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Listen to what John said. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Christ, okay? This is the confidence that we have in Jesus. That if we, here's again the word if, the condition, if we ask anything, all right? According to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything that's in line with God's will, that he approves of, that pleases him, he'll hear that prayer. And if, again, the second if, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. And then in 1 John three twenty two, John says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments that is, we obey His Word and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So here's the condition for answered prayer. You know, a lot of times you hear, well, it says, if you ask anything of God. Well, yeah, but we don't seem to go any further than that. Anything according to His will, as long as we're obeying His Word and do those things that are pleasing to Him, He answers the prayer. Because again, a lot of times we ask things of God that are, not, that are not in line with His will. That are not pleasing to Him. Now, what happened to the disobedient Israelites, which Paul wrote about last week in chapters 1 through 10, those things weren't only an, an example to their fellow Hebrews, but they're also to us today. Those, those examples, those things that Paul wrote about the Israelites, uh, again, wasn't just an example for those of that day, but also to all believers ever since. This is a short but powerful text 
given here about temptation. And that applies to everyone. So just, let's review verse 11. We read it last week, but it uh, kicks us off for this uh, study this morning. But verse 11 reads, Paul said, Now all these things, again, he's talking about everything that he mentioned, verses 1 through 10 here. He said, Now all these things happened to them, that is the Israelites, as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the needs of the ages have come. So more than that, all right, these things, more than that, were given for our ad, uh, admonition. All right, for the benefit of Christians. The word am, admonition suggests warning. So these things were written to warn us. The counsel that Paul gives is to hopefully persuade a person to change their behavior because there will be judgment. We will be judged, the Bible says, according to all that we do. So the real point of the message is these things. These things that happen to them in verses 1 through 10. They are to be looked at by us. And not just as like to look at it and go, oh man, that's interesting. Oh, what a bummer for the poor Israelites. We're not to look at it to judge them. But we're to look at these things as having importance, significance. What happened to them still stands as a warning to us today. That great privileges can be enjoyed by the Christian, but, by, but, but many uh, have used them to their destruction. We're not to use them towards our destruction. We have this great liberty, but don't let that liberty destroy us in the process of enjoying those things. So the Israelites' history is written for us in Scripture as a warning to us. Upon here, it says, Paul says, whom the ends of the ages have come, which means it speaks of the time of Messiah, the time of redemption, the last days of world history before the Messianic kingdom comes. So the story of the Israelites, especially in the 40 years of its wilderness life, is a warning. It's a warning. And in this warning, we can find four possible dangers. The first one is giving in to bodily passions. And this, this body wants all kinds of things. But we have to be careful what we, what we you know... Uh, uh, turn over to it giving in to bodily passions this has been a problem over you know since adam and eve ever since adam and eve this has been a problem problem because they again in the garden yielded to their body they gave into their flesh instead of to what they knew was right again knowing the word of god when he said do not eat of that tree they yielded to their flesh they wanted it and they wanted it more than they wanted to obey god's word they yielded to their desires and not their duty of obeying the word of god and that makes life's battle for righteousness a difficult struggle for every man and every woman the passions that may overcome us are these self-indulgence going back to verse six that is over responding to the appetites of a flesh like food and drink, society and pleasures. Now they're all for our use and, they're all, and for our good. But these things may be pursued more than they should. And again, to our danger. Sensuality is another thing that's a passion that may overcome us. And according to verse 8, 
It's important to learn from the example of the Israelites and from the usual scenes at pagan and heathen festivals that abnormal excitement in sensuality inflames the sensual passions, making them hard to overcome and then falling into sin. The second area that we yield into temptation uh, is, is yielding to idolatry. According to verse 7, it may seem like there's no danger in idolatry in the day that we live in. But the Apostle John causes us to think about our own dangers when he says in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And our idols could be our children, our friends, our spouse, our success, our house, our goals, money. Anything in a man's life that succeeds in putting itself before God. And then the third thing, that is a danger regarding temptation is, is found in verse 9. That is yielding to presumption. David shows a lot of insight in his own weakness when he prays, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over them, over me. Psalm 19, 13. This, again, presumption over sins. This is a subtle danger of being a Christian, and it has been for a long time. Because a man or a woman may take advantage of God guessing, guessing what God's will is without asking Him, even testing God. These are sure signs of the lack of humility and a lack of childlike dependence upon God. We think we know what's going on. We have it together. So we're, we, we guess what God's will is. Uh, again, yielding, yielding to the sin of presumption was, was the sin of Rebekah. She presumed on the promise made to her about Jacob. And so she was determined to fulfill God's wills, God's promise to her by her own plans. And then lastly, the thing that we yield to in temptation is yielding to complaining. We saw that in verse 10. A danger to all of us when things don't go the way we want them to is to complain. Troubles, disappointments, and failures... They are the way that God tests us. God tests our profess, profession about Him. He, t- he tests our trust in Him. Again, it's easy to say, I'm a believer. It's easy to say, I trust in God. It's easy to say, I believe in His Word. But when the troubles and the disappointments and the failures come, do we really? So for us to complain, to doubt, and to worry, it clearly shows that we've lost submission and we've lost trust. The Christian never complains who hangs on tightly to the assurance that all things work together for good to them that love God. Romans 8, 28. Look at verse 12 now. Paul says, therefore, that therefore takes us back to what's been said in verses 1 through 11 now. Therefore, again, in light of what's been said, he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You see, overconfidence is one of the most dangerous mistakes of a Christian. That is to presume upon your position and your privileges. Because it's likely to cause you to be careless in your behavior. I got this. Don't worry about this area of my life. I got it covered. Overconfident. And when you're overconfident in certain areas, you let your guard down. Because you think you're strong and you're able to stand. So it makes you careless about your behavior a serious lesson is learned here from god's people in the wilderness 
Even though they were honored and protected and guided and provided for by God, only a few of them, think of it, only a few of them who came out of Egypt kept their faith and actually entered into the promised land. You see, it's not enough to have been allowed into the Christian covenant. We need to be watchful so that we can use our privileges correctly. Well, you might say, you know, as the scripture says, those branches were broken off to make room for me. This is true. But remember what Paul says in Romans 11, verse 20. He said, those branches, the Jews, were broken off because they didn't believe God. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. Hey, if those Jews were broken off, guess what? You could be too. Look at the difference between the man who stands and the man who thinks he stands. The man who stands isn't necessarily in danger of falling. But the man who thinks he stands has a good reason to be afraid. So we're led to understand that a man's moral danger isn't just in his outward circumstances or his surroundings. But they're, uh, they're what's going on inside. The moral danger is what's going inside. What's happening in his mind? What's he thinking about? What's in his heart? What's in his thoughts? And what's in his feelings? Those things that move him to act a certain way. Our standing or our falling depends on the attitude of our heart. What's going on in our heart? Now we can stand anywhere if our heart is right with God. But we will fall everywhere if we don't keep our heart with all diligence. As Solomon said in in, in Psalms uh, 4.24. And what is the one important thing in having a right heart? Humility. Humility. Humility always keeps us leaning on the Lord. It's recognizing who I am and who God is. I'm nobody. I'm nothing in comparison to God. I need God. And I got to come to him in a humble way. Lord, you have everything that I need. Humility is leaning on the Lord. It's hiding in him. It's trusting in him. It's hoping in him when tragedy comes near. It's doing all things only through him who strengthens us. So then we could say in conclusion that when the self-secure and overconfident fall... All right, it's usually sudden. It's usually hard and it's usually overwhelming. But that might be to allow us to break down our confidence, our overconfidence, to humble us under God's hand. And with the warning that Paul also gives here, he also gives encouragement in verse 13. Paul, with the warning, also gives encouragement in verse 13. The self-confident are warned in case their high opinion of themselves should be the cause of their fall. Look at verse 13 now. Paul says, No temptation has has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is another thing that's very important to know and understand. The faint-hearted are cheered up by this assurance. 
That even though they might be tested, and it's not a matter of might, we will be tested. God is going to be there for them. And he's going to lead them to safety. And they're going to come out of the fire without even the smell of smoke on them. And this is an assurance of comfort to all who want to live a disciplined spiritual life. And especially for the doubtful and the hesitant. Again, first of all, we need to know and understand, grasp this, that the temptations are allowed by God. Temptations are allowed by God. He either plans them, arranges them, designs them based on your need. And when I say He either uh, plans them, arranges them, designs them, he He doesn't tempt you with evil. He allows these things in your life to test you. So that, not, not so that he can see where you are. He knows where you are. But he allows them in our life so that we can see where we are. Because it's allowed by God to be a part of human life. Don't expect to escape temptations or, to, or try to escape them. Everybody's tested. But also with this truth... There's, a, there's, a, there's an element of comfort built into this truth. Because to everyone that's tested, it can be said, your case is not unusual. In other words, whatever you go through is not unusual. All that are good, that have, re- have reached goodness by passing through the fiery furnace of affliction and persecution... And of doubt in in spiritual battles. Jesus himself was greatly tested. And the disciple is not above his master. Hey, if Jesus got tested, how much more us? And it's common destiny for those who have fellowship with Jesus Christ and one another. You're going to be tested. Testing is a common experience, a common human experience. Becoming a Christian never changes our circumstances. Coming to Christ, as many have said, hey, everything's going to be okay. Life is going to be wonderful. All your problems are going to be gone. No, that's not what that means. Becoming a Christian does not change your circumstances. It only changes how you deal with those circumstances. These, these these, These trials that we go through, they are a necessity for life, for this life. And it's how the Lord changes the simple innocence of ignorance for the good that comes by knowledge and will. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.71, he says, The suffering that you sent was good for me because it taught me to pay attention to your principles. And if it pleased God to give us, as his creatures, moral creatures, the understanding between right and wrong, with a clear understanding that he stood by those who are right, then he has to put his people into situations that would test their love towards doing what's right. So in one way, the temptations around us, and they come come in many forms, many shapes and sizes. They make our life a struggle sometimes. And sometimes it's bitter. But... In another way, our temptations are the battleground where, we, where we're to win holiness and good. 
None of us can escape the way of temptation as long as we're living in this world and in these bodies. It goes, temptation goes everywhere we go. It'll be everywhere you go. It will be with it. We take it everywhere we go. And God won't leave us alone. And it's not because he wants to make our life miserable. God wants to make us holy. Holy. We also need to know and understand that temptation is resisted through the faithfulness of God. Not only are temptations common to men, but God is faithful. Who Paul said here, notice, won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. Remember that. Grasp that. No believer can ever say, when you're being tempted, God is tempting me. No, he's allowing you to be tempted. He's not tempting you. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anybody else to do wrong. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James 1, 13 through 15. No believer can say that when he or she is overwhelmed by temptation, that the devil made me do it. No one can ever say that somebody made me do it. The devil made me do it. I had no power. I had no control. No one, not even Satan, can make us sin. He can't make an, he, he, he can't even make a be, an unbeliever sin. Think about it. We are the last stop for saying no. I am in control of saying yes or no to temptation. No temptation in itself is stronger than our spiritual resources. Oh, that's the key. What, is, what are my resources for overcoming temptation? Sin is not stronger than the power of the word of God. Remember that. Sin is not more powerful than the word of God. Sin is not more powerful than prayer. Sin is not more powerful than the Holy Spirit. People sin because they willingly sin. God has chosen to defend and to deliver us, his servants. And he knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Second Peter 2.9, it says the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now here's the interesting thing about this verse. Many times when people are going through temptations and trials i've heard many christians say hey, the bible said just resist the devil and he'll flee from you hey this is a two-parter they live out therefore submit to god if i submit to god and resist the devil he will flee from me the faithfulness of our god who is true and unchanging is our security when it comes to being tempted and God does this by the use of his word, which is the sword of the spirit, our weapon to fight against the enemy. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness, remember, he fought off every attack by Satan through the power of the word of God. He didn't argue with the devil. He just said, it is written. And he quoted scripture. Scripture. 
God encourages his people to call upon him in the day of trouble. He says, and I will deliver you, but you shall glorify me. Psalm 50, verse 15. So when we're tempted, we should arise and call on our God. And again, we need to know and understand that temptation is itself tempered by God's providence. He helps soften that temptation through his providence, through his, through his intervention. It won't, it won't exceed our... Whatever temptation we experience will not exceed our ability to endure. It will not, you know, uh, exceed our ability to resist. Now that temptation might be crafty. It may be unexpected. But the watchful believer, the prayerful person, will be able to deflect and overcome the fiery darts that Satan throws at you. And we need to know and understand that temptation is, in the case of God's people, accompanied by a way of escape. Paul said, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to bear it. Notice that. Verse 13 is a great verse to remember and to dissect and to, and to lay it all out before you. The phrase, the way, there in verse 13, in other words, means there's only one way of escaping the temptation. And that way of escape from every temptation, no matter what it is, is the same. It is through. This is an important word. It is going through the temptation. That's how you escape it. Whether we have a test by God to prove our righteousness or a temptation by Satan to get us to sin, there's only one way that we can get past the test. Now, God tests us to bring out the best in us. Satan tests us to bring out the worst in us. God doesn't test us to lay us on our back. He tests us to bring us to our knees. And we escape escape temptation uh, not by getting out of it. Or going under it. Or over it. But by passing through it. And you see, that's what we want to avoid. We look at the problem. I don't want to go through that. God says, that's the only way you're going to escape it. God doesn't take us out. He takes us in. He sees us through. How? By making us able to bear it. The same God who delivered Daniel's three friends from the fiery furnace. Remember? also delivered Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered Peter from the prison. He makes the way of safety for all who trust in him. The experience of every Christian testifies of this assurance. And the story of individual Christians is the same as the history of the church. Dangers and distresses always happen. But you know what? They always, you know, they, they always have a way that, that, of escape. They always have a way of giving the Lord a chance to show His compassion and His power and His involvement for assuring a deliverance. It's only when we're in heaven that we're going to escape the devil's temptations. And notice something else that Paul says there at the end. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. 
In other, you know, in our Christian experience, temptations come steadily, they come in many shapes, and they come in many sizes. But here's the thing, there are none that are new. There's no temptation that anybody has never experienced before. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Paul says, such as is common to man. That means they're normal. That means these temptations belong to the human race. In other words, Paul is saying there's no such thing as superhuman or or supernatural temptation. Temptations are human experiences. And the word common here also carries the idea of usual or typical. Temptations are never only a one of its kind experiences to us. We can never have a temptation that hasn't been experienced by millions of other people in the world. Now those circumstances differ, but basic temptations don't. Even the Son of God, Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews 4.15, He was in all points tempted as we are. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. It says, and because he was, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 2.18. So you see, Jesus Christ himself experienced every temptation on earth that man could experience. That's why he's able to help us because he knows what we go through. He's been through it already. So he's able to help us. He knows what the answers are to our temptations and how to deal with them. And because temptations are common to everybody, all of us, We are able, as James says in James 5, 16, because they're common to all of us, we are able to confess our sins to one another. And Paul said in Galatians 2, and we're to bear one one another's burdens. We're all in the same boat when it comes to temptations. It may be different temptations, but we're all in the same boat. We all experience temptations. So when we begin to think that our problem is unique, When we start to think, oh, that we have to go through this alone. Because you see, I, I, I can't get help from anybody because nobody else on earth has ever experienced what I'm going through before. Wrong. Nobody can help me. Because nobody's ever experienced this before. This is a one of a kind. No, it's not. Paul said it's common to man. But people from all ages are connected in a common experience through all the possible forms of temptations. Human human nature is the same in every age and in every place. The corruption of of human nature shows itself in the same ways among all people. Even in what we think is new, We're just sharing a common experience. Our temptation is one that's common to men. Again and again, as life goes on, to our surprise, we find this out. Now, it may not make the battle with with evil easier, but it does help us to see the strain of feeling that our experience is unique. Again, like, I'm all alone through this. Because nobody else has ever gone through something like this before. And we seem to gain new strength when we can say, I know that somebody else has gone through this. 
I know that somebody else has gone through what I'm going through and the Lord gave them the victory. Why not me? God has given his grace to those who have been tempted just as I am over and over again. But again, we need to watch out when we start to think, I am going through something that nobody else has ever gone through. Because again, what you go through is the common inheritance of the human race. Oswald Chambers said this, God doesn't save us from temptation. He helps us in the midst of them. Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see, God promises me that when I'm tempted, whatever I'm dealing, whether I'm, whatever I'm going through, I'm always given a way of escape. Now, here's the thing. You've just heard, God, heard God's word about this, about temptation. None of it's uncommon. None of it's unique. It's all happened before to other people. It's not new in this world. It's, 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 it's common. And also, we, we're given a way of escape. We've got, we've got God's word. We've got his promise that he'll never give us more than we can endure. We have a way of escape. It's not uncommon to man. So, when Jesus tells me that his power is sufficient for me to endure any trial and come out victorious, what do I do with that? Am I not supposed to believe his words with complete confidence? Yes, I am. So we need to remember that the next time we go through something and we begin to say, oh, this is, this is, this is unique. Nobody's ever gone through this before. What am I going to do? Hey, Jesus has said, His power is sufficient to endure any trial and to come out victorious. So we learn three things for sure. Number one, from what Paul said here in verse 13. We learn that God tempers the temptation. <clears throat> that is, he softens the blow. He, he, he tempers the temptation to the ability of the one going through it. See, he'll never give you more than, any, more than you can handle. He may turn it up, the, the fire up higher on a different person in somebody else's situation because they can handle it. But for each person, he's going to temper that temptation. Why does he make it harder for somebody else? Well, he knows they can go through it. He knows they can handle it. But he knows that you can't. So he tempers the temptation to the ability of the one going through it. We can be sure that God will not allow us, as it says in 13, to be tempted beyond what we're able. Man, what a blessing. It is. No, I'm going through this. It's difficult. But you know what? It's not going to be more than I can handle. God's promised me. And always remember, God has his hand on the thermostat all the time. Cranking up the heat when it needs to be and turning it back down when it needs to be. God will secondly, God secondly will provide the necessary escapes either from the temptation or through the temptation. And third, God comforts us with gracious promises and assurances to which he's always faithful 
God allows, the tempta- God allows the temptations by allowing the circumstances that create the temptation to come. But he makes sure that nothing comes that will cause you to fall. And then all that a, cre- a Christian has to do is to live in humble dependence upon God. Neither confused in the present nor worried about tomorrow. Let's close now with verses 14 and 15. Therefore, again, the therefore always takes us back to what was just said. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. So in, a, in, in, da- in addition to the danger of, of self-confidence, the Corinthians were also in danger of falling back into idolatry. So Paul warns them here. But notice he does it tenderly. The word flee here suggests that the Corinthians should make a practice of flying from the presence of sin. That's what the word means. The word flee means to put to flight. The Christians were to make practice of flying from the presence of sin. In other words, everything that might be set up in their life, like an idol, that might be set up in their heart, that would take the place of devotion to Jesus and serving Him, flee from it. Put your, fly away from it. But even with this warning, Paul was not going to impose his will on them. He says, in, again, look at uh, verse 15. He's, he, in the New Living Translation, he's saying, you're reasonable, peop- you're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm about to say is true. And then, next week, Paul's going to get in to teach the fellowship At the Lord's table, it requires separation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord. And how important, Father, how important this this passage is to us, God. It's a small text, but it's loaded, filled with great, great encouragement with strengthening words to help us through temptation, through the trials of life. And Father, we thank you that you have, Father, you have given us a way of escape. And that, Father, you promised to go through these temptations with us, God. Lord, you said that you took your people through the fire and they were never burned. You took them through the waters and they were never overcome. So, Father, take us through as well. Help us to stand upon the promise of your word, knowing, God, that whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm dealing with, it will not be more than I can handle. And that you make a way of escape. And that your word and prayer and the Holy Spirit are my resources for overcoming temptations and trials, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the offering that we'll receive today, God. May it honor you. May it bless you, Lord. And as always, we thank you for your goodness, God. We always, and we just thank you for what you always give us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.